chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And uh, not sure if I'll get through the entire message tonight or not. We'll see. Uh, there is a lot to go over. And sometimes you just don't know if it's going to be a quick going over or if it's going to take a while to say what needs to be said. But uh, this, uh, this part of of uh, the book of Revelation is a part that I think we're all uh, highly looking forward to. Amen? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am ready to find out what food li is like in heaven. Amen? And I tell you, I'm sorry, people make fun of Baptists about our food and fellowship, amen? But you know what? Uh, Jesus often was fellowshipping around the dinner table, amen? And, and there is fellowshipping around the dinner table in heaven. Brother Gene Woods, the preacher that my dad got saved under in Colorado, uh, he used to say that, you know, the, the tree of life, it says it has 12 manner of fruit each in its season. And Brother Woods said, I believe that the tree of life, when you pick that fruit, it's going to taste like whatever you want it to taste like. He said, I'm going to eat T-bone steak the rest of eternity. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Revelation chapter 19, we'll start in verse 5 and read through verse 10. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed. He saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray, God, uh, for just a, a little bit more of, uh, Lord, your spirit blowing through here tonight, God. It's been wonderful already. The music, Lord, has been right where it's need to be to just uh, tune our hearts for the message and to, Lord, uh, get our thoughts on you. And, Lord, we are so thankful. God, we are we're a mess sometimes, God. So full of doubts at times, and Lord, yet you come and do wonderful things like you've done today, even in the midst of that. Lord, I just thank you and praise you for how good you are. How good you are. Thank you. I thank you for each and every person here tonight, God. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for the Thomas family visiting again with us tonight, Lord. Lord, I'm just thankful for what you're doing in our lives. I'm thankful, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thankful for young people wanting to follow you. Lord, I'm thankful for the testimonies tonight. Lord, I am especially thankful for the Word of God. Father, we pray, speak to us tonight. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. 
Well, we have come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in that, there's two parts to it, amen? There's the marriage of the Lamb, and then there's the marriage feast. This is something we should all be looking forward to. This is a time of great joy, worship, and singing. Let us look at the various people, though, involved tonight in this in this event. There's a lot of people here, amen? And so forth. I mean, when you think of all the redeemed of all time are all gathered in one place, amen? No, I like a party. I do like a party when it's a good Christian party, amen? I, I like to fellowship. I love having people over to our house. I love having people together here at the church house. I love fellowship. I was telling Brother Thomas as we got here at church, I can't wait till it warms up and we can start having some outdoor activities, amen, some barbecues and gathering around outside. One of the kids was already asking if maybe this 4th of July we can't go ahead and do what we did a couple years ago and camp out over here by the fire pit and have a fire and uh, camp out and... Uh, I think 4th of July is on a Thursday this year, so they're saying, you know, Wednesday night, just everybody come and, and stay after church. We camp out, and then Thursday, go into our 4th of July celebration. Well, maybe we'll do that, amen? I enjoy uh, be, just being able to fellowship with God's people. And, you know, up to this point, I don't know how much fellowshipping's really been going on in heaven. Up to this point, it's been God judging, Amen. Uh, and, and rewards being handed out. So I, I don't know how much real fellowship's gone on during that time, but my word, there's some fellowship about to start. And, I, and as I look at the various people involved in this, it just excites me uh, to get to that point. Amen? And so let's start in verses 5 through 7, where we see the Father is involved here. The Bible says, A voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now, in this, we understand when it's uh, talking about God, especially when it says the Lord God omnipotent, that is talking about the Godhead. Amen? That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But I want to reflect on just the Father for a moment here. You know, in Jewish culture, the Father chooses the bride for His Son. Amen? You know, God the Father chose a bride for His Son, and He called that bride the church. Amen? And we're going to get more into that just here in a minute. But what have we just gone over a couple weeks ago here in, in chapter 19? We also, uh, really chapter 17, 18, 19, we're just going over what? The rejection of the great whore. Now this great whore thinks she's the bride of Christ. Amen? But God says, oh no, oh no, you are not. You're an apostate and you are a whore. Uh, my child will not marry such a one. But hey, he's got a pure bride. He's got one 
one that he has chosen, one that he is keeping for his son, and that is called the church of God. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now listen. I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself, but that's all right. We'll cut that part out when I get to it. Amen. I'll try not to preach it a second time. But, you know, a lot of people, we see verses like that, and we look at that, and we, we think individual Christians. But what does he say? Ye. Ye. Well, he's talking to all individual Christians. No, he's not. You know, in the Bible, God does not show us anything but Christians who are part of a local New Testament church. That is God's plan. That is God's design. That is God's will. It's evident from the, from the very beginning of the New Testament all the way through that, man, when somebody gets saved, God's will is for them to get baptized. When they get baptized, they are added to a church. And when they are added to a church, they are discipled and put into service for God. And they are cho chosen by God for that service. What does the Bible say? He is the one that adds to the church. And why does he add a person to the church? Because in that person is some kind of gift that he has given them that he wants to give to the church to be a blessing and a help to the church. So each and every one of you that are members of True Light Baptist Church here tonight, listen. God placed you here. He has given you gifts for a reason. Use them for the honor of God. Use them for the glorification of God. Use them for the edifying of the body. But listen, uh, when we talk about being a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, uh, a, a peculiar people, chosen generation, a holy nation, peculiar people, he's talking, yes, about a Christian, but he's talking about Christians in a church. Because that's the kind of Christian that God designed. These folks that say, oh, I don't need to be a part of a local assembly. These folks that say, well, I, I don't need uh, to be under the authority of a church and uh, I'll just have church in my house or I'll go up uh, in Colorado. It was always, oh, well, I worship God up in the mountains, you know. Uh, here they don't have no mountains, so, you know, they have to go down and worship in the valley, I guess, here. But, uh, you know, they, they people just have all these wild ideas. But, you know, I can worship God on the mountaintop. I can worship him there really any day of the week. But God has said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Amen? So if there's a church anywhere nearby, then I need to be in that church. Amen? Now, there is, listen, it's nothing like being in my own church. But you don't understand what I'm saying. If I'm not going to be here in Lisden area where I can come to my church, if I'm going to be out uh, traveling or something, then I'm looking for a church to go to. Amen? Because I want to at least be able to assemble with the brethren. They might not be my church. They might not be my body. They might not be the bride of Lisden. But they are the brethren, and I still want to be able to meet. But, man, I tell you, it's nothing like being able to come home to my own church. Amen? To be able to walk in and see the those that are part of my body, amen, and your body, and really the body of Christ, amen, in Lisden, Indiana. And so he has chosen a bride, and man, uh, he desires that bride to be pure. We're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. And so we see the Father. 
But then we see the focus. The focus. What is this all about? Well, it says there in verse uh, 7, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. I mean, there's been a lot of different focuses throughout the book of Revelation. Amen. We saw at the beginning there that was focused on Jesus Christ. Amen. What a place to begin. But then we saw there was the focus of the seven churches of Asia. And then we saw there was a focus of some things going on in heaven. Then we saw the focus was on the judgment of God raining down on this earth. And now we see that the focus is on the marriage of the Lamb. Now, who is this Lamb? Well, before I get there, I'll get ahead of myself again. Amen. There are three parts in a Jewish wedding. Three parts. You know, I, as I studied this more, just it, 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 I, I just get to thinking, maybe we ought to redo how we do our weddings. Amen. Because when I look at how they dim in Bible times with the Jews, Man, it, there just seems to be so much uh, application to scriptures, amen? I've already talked to my daughters about how when they get married, uh, I don't want to have the normal Western uh, uh, wedding, amen? I want to have a Jewish-style uh, wedding, a biblical-style wedding. And what, you, what is that? Well, I, I want, the, I want the, uh, the, the bride to be standing up front instead of the groom. And I want the groom to come in. You know, in the, in the Bible times, all the attention was on the groom, not the bride, the groom. And I want the groom to come in, and I want people, when he walks in, I want to, uh, his best man to come in before him and start shouting, the groom is here, the groom is here. And I want him to walk in, and I want him to walk up to the front, and everybody be shouting, the groom is here, the groom is here. And then he's going to come up, and the bride will be center stage, amen, with her uh, a white gown, and he'll walk up, and he'll do a little uh, inspection around the bride, amen, uh, as, a, as a picture of Christ inspecting his church and to see the purity of the bride and when he says yep she's pure then they'll step before the minister and, and get married and then and then afterwards praise God uh, they're going to walk out and there's going to be a, a white horse amen and that, that groom's going to get up in that horse and he's going to haul his bride up in after him and they're going to gallop home amen praise God I just get, get excited about stuff like that but here we find there are three parts to a wedding in the Jewish wedding the first part was the betrothal now we all know about this part Mary was betrothed to uh, 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 Joseph thank you man all of a sudden I can't it's like boop nothing uh, Joseph and, and and what was this Joseph had come to Mary's father and said uh, sir I'd like to marry your daughter Mary amen and uh, you know hey listen we can say all we want but cultures are different and uh, even here in America there was a time where people got married real young amen uh, the, the preacher that we were under when my dad was in Bible college in Missouri he was one of them uh, Missouri Ozark uh, hillbillies. I mean, he was hillbilly. And he and his wife, uh, he was, I think, 20-some years old, and his wife was like 14 when they got married, and uh, they, they were married for till death did them part for like 60 or 70-some years. Amen? And uh, But that, that, that was just the way when they grew up. Amen? That, there's still places in America today uh, women are getting married that young. Amen? I, I don't know how I feel about that sometimes. Amen. But uh, in that, Mary was probably not very old. A lot of people think she's probably around 14 years old or so. 
But uh, he'd come to Mary's uh, daddy and say, da- uh, Sir, I- I'd like to marry your daughter. And uh, Joseph, or jo- uh, Mary's dad uh, would have uh, probably known Joseph. They probably uh, had some kind of relationship. Uh, they would have been of the same tribe and all those things. As we can see through the lineage of both of them, they're both from the family of David. And so they had the same tribe, which was a, uh, something, you know, a commandment of God to marry in the tribes and all this. And so uh, they were related in some way there. And, and uh, uh, Joseph's or Mary's father would have had to give his own okay and then joseph would have had to give a dowry we'll talk about the dowry more here in just a moment but in that there was you know depending on the time uh, uh, in the history they say at the beginning it was just a word contract but after the babylonian captivity they went to written contracts but that there would be a contract that hey this man is your husband in everything but uh, but the but the marriage bed, and this woman is your wife in everything but the marriage bed, and you two are to see each other as married and therefore be faithful, and then there would be at least twelve months between the time they got betrothed to the time they got married. Amen? And so in that 12 months, they had to be faithful, and they, were, they would be known as, hey, that's, that's Mary, that's Joseph's wife, even though they hadn't officially been married yet. Amen? They would have been known as husband and wife. And so that was the betrothal. And then there comes the presentation. The presentation. And that's where they get married. Amen. Uh, there's two parts to the presentation. There's a presentation of the groom. And man, they would, uh, the, the, the friend of the groom, the best man, he'd come uh, through town and he'd start letting everybody know the groom is coming and everybody get ready. Uh, we see the, the, the 12 virgin girls with their lamps. That's a picture of that, them, uh, them having their lamps ready for the groom to come and get his bride. And, and they would be part of the procession. And uh, then we find that uh, uh, they'd come to the house of the bride and he would get his bride and they would make their way back to the father's house. Amen. And and when they got there, depending on uh, where, when, and how, you know, there was different ways of doing it. They would either go, they would either go in and consummate the marriage first. And that was the marriage. There was no officiating. There were no minister officiating ceremonies and stuff. The consummation of the marriage was their marriage. And then, uh, or uh, they would have a little bit of a feast time uh and then that evening for just that day then that evening they would consummate the marriage but the feasting would continue on for at least a week at least a week and unlike western marriages it wasn't a time of getting drunk it wasn't a time of being stupid it was a time of great rejoicing in the lord it was a time of of uh singing it was a time of sharing wisdom with the new couple it was just a great time uh but so that would be the presentation first the presenting of the groom and then the presenting of the bride would come after the consummation that would be where after they had consummated the the marriage they would come forth and they would provide proof that she had been a virgin. Amen. We see that in the book of Deuteronomy. It was the sheets from the bed they brought in to uh, make that proof. Amen. So that was the presentation. And then that was after that was the wedding feast. Amen. 
the good time, like I said, at least a week long, sometimes longer. And, uh, man, they'd, put, they'd, they'd do everything they could possibly do uh, and, and financially to make that just the greatest time for that bride and that groom. And it was going to be one of the best days of their life. Amen? In that three-part series of Jewish weddings, we, the bride of Christ, the church, are in the betrothal period right now. We have been betrothed unto the Lord. We are married to Him in everything but the consummation. And we are to keep ourselves faithful and pure for Him. And one day, there's going to be the presentation. We'll get to that in a moment. The presentation really happens in verse 7 and 8. Then the feast takes place in verse 9. Okay? A good picture of this in the Bible of the consummating prior to the feasting would be Isaac and Rebekah. When, when the servant goes and he gets, finds Rebekah, where she come from? She comes from the family of Abraham. Amen? Uh, they don't go outside the family. And, and so we'll get how, why that's important here in a moment. But uh, he goes and he gets Rebekah, brings her back with the permission of her father, and uh, he presents her to uh, Isaac, and Isaac takes her into his mother's tent. They consummate the marriage, and then there was great feasting, I'm sure, after that. But that was the beginning of it there. And so there will be, I believe, according to that picture, that's how it's going to be with the church. There will be the consummation. What is the consummation? It is the uh, finding the purity of the church. Is she pure? Now, that ha- why is that, when does that happen? It's happening all during the, the time of the, of the uh, 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 Bema seat judgment. While we're being judged individually, we're also going to be judged as churches. And Christ will be saying whether the church is pure or whether it's not. Whether it was a true church or whether it was not. We'll look more of that here in just a moment. And so in that, we see that the first person that's a focus in this focus is the bridegroom. Is the bridegroom. Jewish weddings, it's all about the bridegroom. Ladies, I'm sorry. It, I mean, there's a big part, of course, with the bride. I mean, she was adorned. We can see it throughout the Bible. When they would get ready for their marriage, man, she, they, would, they would really do it up. And there was a big part with the bride. But it's all, it's all about the groom. Shouldn't that be the way it is with us? It should all be about Jesus. You know, Jesus paid the dowry for his church. He gave himself, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.25, he gave himself for the church. His precious blood was the price of the dowry. And not only that, but he promised the betrothed. He promised in John 14.3, he says, I'm going to go, but I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm taking you to the Father's house, amen. And my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so we see the promise to the, to the betrothed that he is coming back for her here soon. And so we see the bridegroom. But then we see the bride. Now, when you look again at Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 32, you see a whole lot about the bride and how she pictures the church. We just preached about that last Sunday. Not going to go over that again, but, but how the bride pictures the church. And folks, oh, uh, man, as the church, we uh, are the bride of Christ. And that, that is a huge responsibility 
when we think of all that entails. The New Testament church, the local assembly, and that's the only kind of church we can find in the Bible. If you think that in anywhere at all that there is a universal church taught in the Bible, please come and show me. I have have studied extensively on the church, and I cannot find one place. First and foremost, the very word church itself, translated from the word ecclesia, it has to do with a local assembly uh, of a place uh, where they would assemble as a visible body to do a visible work with authority. Amen. Often the word ecclesia was to be used for town hall meetings. Amen. Where all the town came together. Why? Because they're part of that town. And they would come together and there was authority as the people of that town to make decisions for the town. It's a local assembly. In that, people kind of get up wondering about a lot of things. They get a little uptight about some things. But let me just quickly show this with this this New Testament church local assembly. Right now, it is a present and local assembly. What does that mean? There, There are some people that believe that the New Testament church is just a future thing, really. No, 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 no. The New Testament church is a present and local assembly. It is alive and well today. How do you know? Because we're right here, right now. Amen? This is the church of God. True Light Baptist Church. Now, there's what we sometimes call sister churches that are like McGregor Road Baptist Church in Acton. She is the body and bride of Christ in Acton, Indiana. And then there there might be like Glory Baptist Church in Indianapolis. She is the body and bride of Jesus Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. There's there's this church and that church, and they make up the present body uh, and bride of Christ's local assembly. I've had people say, well, then God's going to have many brides? No, 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 no. Let's get to there. First, let me say this. Jesus wrote to each individual churches in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. He wrote to them as individual bodies because they were not in heaven yet. They were still on earth, assembled in their local place. Yet, because of this, they are individual churches. But... There's a church in prospect, we might call it, where that church is future, but it is local, and it is made up of all the true churches, all those that Jesus Christ says, that is a true New Testament church, and they meet my approval of purity, they become a local assembly together in heaven, present and assembled in heaven it's still the same thing you see right now we can't be all together all the saved so you know that's the universal church saying it's all the saved. all the saved cannot be assembled together therefore they cannot be a church they cannot be a body or you have a dismembered body spread out all over the world I can't do what I'm supposed to do as a member of the local body. 
What does that mean? Well, you know, the Bible tells us that as members of his church, we're to sorrow with one another when, we're, when one is sorrowing. And when one is rejoicing, we're to rejoice with one another. How can I sorrow or rejoice with another brother or sister in Christ who I don't even know? And we got to put ourselves in Bible times. I know that today, with all the technology, people try to bring out, well, I know people all over the world, and I can rejoice with it. Yes, 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 I understand. But there's many other things you can't do either. You can't function as a body. But in the New Testament time, there's no view of that. The view is local assemblies only. And when we get to the book of Revelation, look at chapter 2 and verse 5. Look at chapter 2 and verse 5. Jesus says to this church here in Ephesus, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. From chapter 1, we have understood from our past learning the candlestick is the representation of our position as a church of God. That verse there shows us that if there is impurity that doesn't get right, God can remove that candlestick. I believe that's what happened with the Catholic Church. I believe the Catholic Church started off as various churches that were true churches. But they started to apostatize. They started to bring in false teaching. They started wanting to uh, be, have power and not be in persecution. And so they started seeing to get that. We need to have a marriage with the government. And they start doing that. And all of a sudden they come together and start teaching this thing of a universal invisible, or excuse me, their teaching was universal visible church. And they apostatized. They never got right. God's removed that candlestick. He calls her a whore now. All the Protestant churches, the, what were, they came out of the Catholic church. They never had the beginnings of a proper church. They came out of the whore. The Bible uh, refers to them as children of the whore. They never had a candlestick because they never were a church. They came out of the, an apostate church. They never were a church. Does that mean people aren't saved there? No. There's people saved in them, but they're just not part of a true New Testament church. And people will say, well, you're just prideful. You, you believe you're a Baptist bride. Amen? They call us Baptist briders. My dad said, no, I'm not a Baptist brider. I'm a church brider. That means if it's a true church, it's the bride of Christ. But what we can see through history is that those that, aligned with what we call Baptist distinctives, those are the ones we can trace back to Christ through their doctrine, through their sufferings, that trail of blood, amen? It has nothing to do with pride. Because you know what? You and I weren't there. And you and I did nothing to get us where we're at here today. It's all the grace of God. But there is a lineage, and it is a Baptist lineage. Now, are all Baptist churches... Still in that lineage? No, I'm afraid there's quite a few that have lost their candlestick because they've apostatized. Amen? They have gone off into great errors. Uh, I mean, you can look at the American Baptist ch uh, uh, Church, what do you call them, uh, uh, convention, the American Baptist Convention, they've apostatized. 
the Southern Baptist Convention, if they have not lost their candlestick yet, man, they're real close. They better repent if they haven't. Amen. That they've gone off in the deep end in a lot of areas. Uh, the the Northern Baptist Convention. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, a the Free Will Baptist. Uh, there's a lot of different Baptists that maybe had a right beginning, but they've gone off in the false doctrines. They've gone off in a lot of false garbage that they teach, and so in that. If they haven't lost it yet, they're here where Ephesus is at, where Christ is telling them, you either get it right or I'm removing it. Are we a true church? I'd like to think we are. I'd like to think we are. And as humanly as possible, I've tried to study if we are. As far as our beginnings, they were proper biblical beginnings. We had the proper authority. A man was sent out with the authority from Faith Baptist Church in Avon to come to Lisbon, Indiana, and start a church. And, man, if you didn't know this, they started in a chicken coop. Amen? That's what the records say. They started in a chicken coop. I'm pretty sure it wasn't like my chicken coop in the backyard. Amen? But that's where they started. And then that was 1963. And then 19, by 1973, they had bought this property and started building this building. I've just been going over the records uh, again because a lady is writing a, uh, the, the bicentennial biography of, of Hendricks County, and she wanted to know some history of the church to be able to put in the book. But uh, in that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of men that have pastored here and have tried to keep the church right. Some of them took the church in a little bit of a wrong direction, but I'm going to say they didn't understand that they were taking a wrong direction. That direction is incorporation. They didn't understand that. That's just something that back in their day, that, and still even to today, a lot of preachers think that's just what you do. They don't know. But, uh, but praise God, a man called Mike Thurman, amen, we support him as an evangelist now, and he became the pastor here, said, you know what, this ain't right, the church is the bride of Christ, we can't have two heads, amen, and so he took him out of incorporation, got us back on the right path. And then there was Brother Danford keeping the church on the right path. And then there was uh, Brother Adams for a short while. I uh, kept the church on the right path. Uh, sadly, he went astray, but praise God, he's gotten his heart right with God. But, but, uh, but he was here for a little while, and then God brought me here, and I'm trying my dead-level best to keep the church on the right path. So as I look at the history of the church, we got the right beginnings. We got the right doctrine. We have tried to keep purity in the church as far as the deeds of the church and the deeds of, uh, of each and uh, members of the church. We don't, we're not going to let uh, uh, sin run prevalent in the church. And as far as I can tell, we have a proper devotion for the Lord. We might not be all that we should be, but I do believe that as a church, we love the Lord. I believe so. And so I'd like to think we are the bride of Christ, that we still have a candlestick. But I'll tell you this, I'm not going to be so prideful to say that Christ cannot be looking down and saying, you know, there's some things, church, that I'm not happy with. And you need to get it right, and if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. Because there are some churches here in the book of Revelation that seem to have a lot of things in order, but they're just one thing. 
one thing that got him kind of cockeyed with the Lord. Amen. And so let us strive to be pure and be faithful to the Lord. But it is a present local assembly now. But there is the prospect that is a local assembly as well. Where all the churches that Christ says are pure and proper churches. They will be put together as the local assembly of heaven. And that is the bride. Now in that bride. The Bible says God's looking for a chaste virgin. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, if you want to look at it, you can. We'll not take time to go read it. But Paul told the church at Corinth, I have espoused you to one husband. And I want to present you as a chaste virgin. Now, you know, in the modern translations, when it, come, when it talk about Mary, they don't call her a virgin. They call her a young girl or a young woman. There's a big difference between a young girl, young woman, and a virgin. Amen? A big difference. Have any of you all seen where, where uh, Planned Parenthood just brought out this video with this, I mean, awful-looking woman? I, I, really, I don't even know if she's really a woman or a guy that's trying to be a woman. Amen? But this woman... They did this video that they're wanting to play in all the public schools across America where they say virginity is a fairy tale. It's just something that old fuddy-duddies came up with to keep you in check and keep their thumb on top of you. It's just a fairy tale. Oh, no, no, no. Young people, keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. And if I can go ahead and just be so bold, that means keep your hands off of them of the other sex. Amen? It's good for a man not to touch a woman. And what's good for the goose, good for the gander. You women, keep your hands off the men until you're married. When you get married, then in the privacy of your own home, you put your hands all over each other anytime you want. But until then, keep pure. It's important not only for God, but it's important for your parents. And let me tell you, you will find that it will be important to you. If you can step up to that marriage platform that day and be able to say, I'm pure. I'm pure. We find that he wanted to present the church as a chaste virgin. We see a local assembly in this. Notice if you go and read that, Paul did not consider himself part of that bride. He said, I presented you, not us. He said, I presented you. Why? Because he wasn't a member of that church no more. He started that church, and he's the one that got it going and trained it at first. But he's now gone. He's no longer a member there. But he said, listen, I as the one who started it, I'm presenting you. I want you to be chased. And this, Paul is kind of acting in the role of a father. A father. Now, we don't call men father, except our real daddies, amen. We call them a father. They are a father, but in that calling no man a father, that's a, to, to basically put them in the place of God. That's what the Catholic Church does and any other of those Protestant assemblies that call a man father. They're putting him in the place of God. 
But Paul is acting in the role of a father. Just like the dad in the Old Testament Jewish culture, he chose the bride and he was the one that would, man, he would work hard to make sure that the day his daughter got married, she was pure. He kept his eye on her. He knew where she was going, where who she was with, what was going on, as to the best of his ability, amen? Because he did not want his family to be shamed. And Paul's saying, listen, I want to present you as a chaste virgin. Why? So I'm not ashamed. He says, I don't want to be ashamed, and I don't want you to be ashamed. Pastors are much like this. It's kind of a dual role. They are sheep. And so therefore part of the bride, but they are also a shepherd. And therefore kind of a preserver of the bride, amen? They're to fight for the purity of the bride. and So kind of like a daddy, amen? Now the church, here in our text, I believe has already been judged. I believe that that judging is again in verses uh, 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 7 and 8. Particularly. It's been going on for all the time since we got to heaven. There's this judging, finding out, are they pure? What is the purity? No, uh, the only kind of church the Bible speaks of is local and visible, right? We've gone over that. What are the signs of chastity? What are the signs of purity? Look at verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. You know, there are a lot of people that will say, well, that's your salvation. You were made righteous in Jesus Christ. There are two types of righteousness in the Bible. There's the righteousness that is bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. But then there's our own righteousness, where what we do is either counted as righteous or unrighteous before God. So what we do is important, and that's the righteousness he's talking about here. Your righteousness as a saint, You're in heaven, therefore you are righteous. But your righteousness in the deeds, that's what they are being arrayed in. And so what is that righteousness? Well, we've gone over before, but just a quick reminder. And you can find this again in the seven churches of Asia. Purity of devotion. Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5. Remember, that's that's what God was talking to them about. Jesus Christ said, you have left your first love. How's our devotion to the Lord? Are we fully in love with Him? Do we have kind of twinkling eyes towards the Lord? You know, the the little emoji with the hearts in the eyes, amen? Is that what we got for the Lord? Or are we kind of a little waning in that love? Purity of devotion, is our love for Him and Him only? Or is it kind of being given to somebody else at the same time? Then there's purity of doctrine. We find that in Revelation 2, verse 14 through 16. The doctrine of the church is important, people. Jesus Christ said that a church was those that were founded upon Jesus Christ and the apostles. What is he talking about? What they taught. If if, if a church is teaching something that's not the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the apostles, guess what? They're quickly on their way to having the candlestick removed if they had one. And then thirdly, purity of deeds. 
Revelation 2, verse 20 through 24, and Revelation 3, verse 1 through 3, we can see that in those churches that God is judging them and is very harsh at that time toward them because their deeds are evil. So when we look at the seven churches of Asia in those two chapters, I said that the rewards for overcoming, when I taught those two chapters, I said that the rewards for overcoming were ours already because we have overcome through Jesus Christ. Well, God showed me I was wrong in teaching that. There are rewards, and then there are rewards. There are some things that we have as overcomers already through Jesus Christ. But then there are rewards for what we have done in overcoming in our deeds. And that's the kind of rewards we find in the book of Revelation. And in the churches, we find that the churches specifically are given rewards based on the church's deeds. True Light Baptist Church will be judged before God as a church. And when we look at the rewards that can be given for overcoming, if Christ says, True Light Baptist Church, you overcame in this area, that's the reward we get. Hey, you overcame in this area too. Praise God, we get that reward. Hey, you overcame in this area too. Praise God, we get that reward. Hey, uh, didn't quite make it in that area. We need to be striving to be overcomers as a church so that we can receive those rewards. The Lord has shown us that these rewards are not for the individuals, but for the church. We must overcome to be able to have them. So who is this bride not? Who is not the bride? Well, it is not some mythical universal church. Amen? Because in a mystical, universal, invisible, or visible bride, doesn't matter that the invisible came from the, from the Protestant side, the visible came from the Catholic side. Either way, impurity is certain. And again, God want, or Jesus wants a chaste bride. Impurity is certain with the universal, invisible, or visible church. Why? Because it's made up of multiple false doctrines. It's made up of people who are not being taught to live godly and righteously and holy in this present world. They're being taught that you can live any way you want to. So there's impurity in those churches. It is not... Uh, listen, wives, wives were chosen from the family or the tribe. Remember Moses, or Abraham sent his servant to his family. And ever since then, Jewish people always took their brides from the tribe. If they went outside, it was never seen as a good thing. Even though God could bless it, if things got right, and that bride you know, became part of the tribe, she was adopted into the families and all that, there were things that happened, but it was never in the will of God. It was always not to, to be unequally yoked. And so in that, uh, if all the saved are the bride, then where was the bride chosen from? If everybody that saved is the bride, then where was the bride chosen from? I would say it would have had to have been chosen from the devil's family then. You know, I don't think God would choose a bride for his husband from the devil's family. So it's not all the saved 
because there, there must be a choosing from the family. She is chosen from the family of God. All the redeemed. You know, I had a preacher actually tell me, the Bible nowhere talks about the family of God. Oh, en contraire, as they say. Man, I probably said that wrong. But it, it does talk about the family of God. And uh, uh, I have it written in here somewhere. Uh-huh. In fact, it's point number three that we're not going to get to tonight. Amen. We're going to talk about the family. All the redeemed. From Adam and Eve... All the way through the tribulation saints when, and, and those, uh, those Jewish saints, they get saved when Christ sets foot on the Mount of Olives. All the redeemed make up the family of God. Doesn't matter if they were Baptist or if they were Catholic. Doesn't matter if they were Jehovah's Witness, which I don't see how they could be, but you just never know. Maybe one of them served the truth and just didn't know enough to get out yet, but they saw the truth. Jesus is God, and Jesus is the, uh, the one i got to put my trust in. You just never know. So it don't matter what their religious affiliation is, what I'm trying to say. If they were saved, they're part of the family of God. They are brothers and sisters. And that's where God takes his bride out of the family. What's he done? He's called us to come out. He's called us to assemble. The problem is, is too many people are not wanting to assemble. At least not in what God calls a true church. And therefore, not all of the family are going to be part of the bride. Not only that, but there are parts of the family that cannot be part of the bride. Who's that? Old Testament saints. The bride wasn't even in existence for them. We'll see here later on in the message that, that John the Baptist is not in the bride. Why? Because he was the friend of the bridegroom. He never was a part of the bride. And so he's not part of the bride in heaven. And man, there's some things that God showed me this week and saying I can't wait to get to his part. Amen. Might I say tonight, we're going to stop there. Oh, let me get this one too. Israel. Some people say Israel's the bride. Israel is the bride. She was the bride of God, the Father. You can see that in Isaiah 54 and verse 1. But she has been divorced from God for her wickedness. You can see that in Hosea chapters 1 through 3 and Ezekiel 16 verse 35 to 43. God has divorced his bride. One day he's going to take her back though. In God's law, remember, a divorced bride, if she didn't marry somebody else, could come back to the original husband. God's going to bring her back for his bride, not for Jesus. Because, listen, the bride that he's chosen for Jesus, when they get married, it's all heavenly. It's up in heaven. The bride of God, when they get married, is down here on earth, when the Jewish nation comes back under God again. Not only that, but Jesus is our high priest, right? The law of God said the high priest could not marry a divorced woman. So how would Jesus marry Israel when she's been divorced? Nope, he's got to have a pure bride. He's got to have one that's never been married before, a chaste virgin, Paul said. And so that cannot be Israel. And so in all that, the focus is on Jesus 
and on his bride. I don't know about you, but like one preacher said, we're all going to be in heaven. If you're saved, we're all going to be in heaven. We're all going to be enjoying all the things of heaven. But why would I want to go second class when I can be right up at the front with Jesus as part of the bride? Amen? And what does that mean for us if we want to be part of the bride? That means you and I got a job to do. Just like Mary had a job to do, she had to keep herself pure for Joseph. You and I got a job to do. We got to keep ourselves pure. We got to keep this church pure. You know, yes, it's the pastor's job, but it's the job of every church member as well. Because each of us, our devotion then makes up the devotion of the church. My devotion, your devotion makes up the devotion of the church. How are we individually devoted to God? As a church, how are we devoted to God? Then our individual deeds as members of the church reflect on the church. How are our deeds? Are we living in sin? Do we have something that we know is not right, but we're not repentant, we're not getting it right? You know, I might not know about it, the church might not know about it, but God knows about it. And when Jesus views the church, when we come together for that judging, he'll be able to say whether or not we're pure. So we need to keep ourselves right for Jesus. And then the doctrine of this church. Man, it is so important that we all fight for the doctrine of this church. Churches all over America that started out right are having their doctrines twisted. You know, it's, one preacher said this, every church is one pastor away from going into apostasy. You know what that means? Yes, it means I have a job to do to keep the church pure, but what if I'm gone? What if I die and you got to find a new pastor? You know, it's your job then to make sure you find one that's going to keep the doctrine and everything else pure in the church. It's your job. That means you need to know your doctrine. That means you need to be firm in your doctrine. You've got to believe your doctrine. You can't just be, well, you know, I'll just ride the wave. I'm not sure about that, and I don't know if I believe that, but I'll just say okay to ride the wave and keep everything coming. No, 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 because you bring in another pastor. What if he starts preaching something that ain't right? And you never were firm in your belief, and now so you're like, well, maybe that's good. And you let him keep on with it. And bring that impurity into the church. Each member of this church has a responsibility to keep the purity of the bride. Folks, we need to take that serious. I'm talking dead serious. I know that sometimes it's easy to get into that thing of, well, Jesus hasn't come back for 2,000 years. Maybe he's not coming back in my lifetime. And that could be, even though I have strong doubts that, hey, that it can't be coming back now. Amen. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't come back in our lifetime? What about our children? Their lifetime. What about our grandchildren and their lifetime? You know, I'd like to think if the Lord doesn't come back, True Light Baptist Church continues on, and I'd like to think that all of us will have family that's still in this church. 
You see, it's important because just because he might not come back now, if he comes back in the future, we want that purity to continue. Let's take it serious, people. Next week, we'll look and hopefully finish off before I go to Zambia, amen, the look at the marriage supper. But, folks, before we get there, the Lord's going to want to see a pure church, a pure bride. Will we be able to find ourselves counted in that number? I pray to God we will. Father, I pray that you'd help us to take this so serious. Lord, to be sober-minded about it, to understand that, Lord, this... This is not just some rhetoric. It's not just some symbology, God. It is real. Our devotion, our doctrine, our deeds, God, you are keeping a record of those. And Lord, how we love you, our doctrine, and what we do will be counted in whether or not we will be considered for your bride. Help us, Lord. Help us. I thank you and I praise you for the word of God that gives us the understanding of these things. I pray help us, Lord, to be understanding and serious about them. In Jesus' name.